0: so terribly, or a hundred years before, the Trail of Tears in our own corner of the world. Um, Adventure or Death March, metaphorically speaking, both take you into places unknown, places that you haven't been before. The one has the potential, I guess you could say, to, to stretch you, to shape you, to grow you within. The other again metaphorically speaking has you know if it may well kill you or at least cripple you and and the difference between them and the result as to what comes out of it is is whether or not you've got hope or properly speaking where your hope is I'll explain that in a minute where your hope is or maybe even you could even say in whom now i'm just wondering as we're starting out here this morning thinking about those metaphors, walking, moving forward. Where are you? Where are you? On an adventure? Or do you feel more like it's a death march? Where are you? We're in Lamentations 3 in terms of our study uh, through this uh, group of this collection of these laments, these poems, Lamentations 3, if you're trying to find that in your Old Testament, uh, again, your big landmarks are, look for the book of Isaiah, that's a big one, head to the right, that's another big one to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's little brother, Lamentations, uh, is five chapters, we're in chapter 3, so uh, it is, hang on now, 66 verses, but they're all short, so... um, I'm going to read these as we, and uh, let's pay attention, give it its due. This is the Lord's Word. Let's hear it now. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me. To pieces he has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is, so I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember, my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his Mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us, "'Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. "'My eyes flow with rivers of tears "'because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. "'My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, "'until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. "'My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. "'I have been hunted like a bird by those who are my enemies without cause.' They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depth of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, Do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord. All their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them... Dullness of heart, your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Well, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand here what's going on and how it intersects with our own experience, our own days, our own lives. There is a lot here, and we only have a few minutes um, we know, though, that you've brought us into this place, into this hour, for a reason. Gathered us here, each, each one, each living soul, and we pray that you'd meet us and speak to us. Amen. So, what is hope? What is hope? Um, I'm going to give you a definition. One source I came upon this past week put it this way: it is a positive expectation. Of some future good that is not yet present, and where there is some uncertainty at least about the time when that good will be realized. Okay, that's, that's good as far as it, as it goes. Here, here's the thing we all need hope. We all need it just to be able to exist, to, to live in this world. And in fact, I'll go so this far, I'll go this far. We all actually have hope. Like, what? No, really, it's true. Every man, woman, and child, unless they're completely just shut down, has hope. To get up in the morning and move, you have to have some expectation, some sense of some something coming that makes you go. So we've, we all need it, we all have it, but the problem is it can be incredibly mislaid. It can be set on the wrong thing. Our... our um, Had the definition put it. Our positive expectation of some future good might be in the wrong stuff, in the wrong place. Which then sets in motion a likely experience where our hope is exposed at some point because of some something going on, and um, we we go through a crash. Uh, That hope um, is crushed underfoot. Which leaves us where? In a fix, if I can put it in a highly technical term. Um, It puts us in a need for a new hope, a living hope. Something that will actually this time sustain, last, carry us. Maybe something along these lines. A hope that is looking forward expectantly to what God will do. A hope in God, a certainty, and expectancy in Him, based in His faithfulness and goodness to us. Now, can I, let me. Okay, Vermont, Where are we? How do we get to Lamentations three? What's going on here? Historical context, real quick. This is the Babylonian conquest, one of the worst times. It could arguably be said. I've heard it put it this way. Perhaps even worse than the Holocaust, in terms of its impact upon the Jewish people. The Babylonians have swept in, destroyed the city. There's a horrific exile that has taken place. The Old Testament narratives relay the facts of what has happened. As you've heard me say in this little series, Lamentations relays the feelings of what it was like to go through the horror of those days. This this particular Poem, Lamentations 3, is, is very much like all the other ones, but it's, it's, it's different at the same time. They're all acrostics, well, except for number 5, which we'll get to that in a few weeks. Um, me- meaning, they are done in triplets, groups, verses, and groups of three. Each group is in order of the Hebrew alphabet, so Aleph would be the, the first one, and then you move through the, the first three, begin with that letter. Each, each of those three verses in that triplet, in verses 1 through 3, begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and you move progressively through it. What does it tell you? We talked about this a few weeks ago. This, this is astonishingly organized, systematized, thought through the author as they're, they're he, he was working this this out. Um, in this case, it's a little different. It's one individual speaking on, on behalf of, in the place of, for the sake of the whole people. Um, you get to by the time you get to verse 18, excuse me, verse 16, um, he's undone. It, it's it's uh, the, the worst of suffering, of this lament and what he's describing, and, and there's no comfort to be seen or felt. Let me read you, just, it comes to this culmination verses 16 through 18. "He has made my teeth grind on gravel, made me cower in ashes. My soul, you know, speaking of the, the depth of a human's person, my soul get this, is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. You feel that? So I say, my endurance has perished so has my hope from the Lord. But it doesn't end there. It sounds like he's done. It doesn't end there. There's a shift that takes place in verses 19 through 21. Let's let's read that. Remember, it's appealing. my remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But, here's the shift. But, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Okay, so here's the question before the house. What is he calling to mind? Because this major shift is about to take place here. What is he calling to mind? What is he recalling? God. God and his promises. And as you keep reading through this lament, it shifts, it changes everything in terms of how, it doesn't take away the suffering, but it changes everything in terms of how he faces it and how he um, responds to it. When our hope has died, here's the lesson. When our hope has died, we need to remind ourselves of God and His promises. When our hope has died, when when your plans have crashed, the dreams you had, not going to happen. The expectations, the assumptions are nothing but in, in tatters and in dis, just in disarray. When your hope has died, what do you do? What the author of Lamentations is telling us, from his own experience, and this is inspired scripture, is that when our hope has died, we need to remind ourselves of God and His promises. Three things in particular. I want to drill down into each one of these. The love of God, the mercies of God, and the provision of God. Let's look at each one of these in turn. Verse 22, the love of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Uh, This is the hesed, the term that comes up again and again and again through the Old Testament. This is steadfast love. This is loving kindness. This is grace. This is favor, most often put in in connection to in conjunction with the Lord. This is the Lord's chesed, the Lord's grace, His favor, His steadfast love, His loving kindness. This is the Lord's grace. The one who had come to Adam right after the fall and said, I am going to work the history of the world, the cosmos, to send one through you another who is going to crush the head of the serpent even as his heel will be bruised. This is the one who who called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, blessing him by his grace to be a blessing for the nations. This is the God who called out Moses. This is the God of David and the kingdom. This is his chesed, his grace. And how does it work? How does it, it never ceases. It, get that? Just, let, just just, park that. Let that settle into your bones. A steadfast love of the Lord, the Lord, his that same one, his hasid of the steadfast Lord of Yahweh never ceases. It never ends. There never comes a point where he says, That's it, I'm done, enough. It can't, it's a fundamental part of who he is. He would have to change for his steadfast love to end. You see, despite what was deserved by the people, despite all their grumbling, despite all their complaining, despite all their waywardness, despite all their wickedness, this is something amazing, this is something astounding, this is something wondrous, this is something so beautifully unexpected and undeserved. And what the author is saying here is that when our hope is died, we need to call to mind God's steadfast love. Now, I know some of you have heard me use this analogy, this illustration before, but it's so dang good. I'm going to come back to it again, and it is in your quotes and notes. Margaret Wise Brown's The Runaway Bunny, one of the best theological treatises you could read to your children. It begins, the story begins, with this young little bunny who sets it into his little fuzzy head that he's going to run away. And Mother Bunny says in response, "If you run away, I will run after you. Why? For you are my little bunny." And so begins this game of chase, this imaginative little game. And, and no matter how many fa- how far, no matter how far or how many forms this little bunny takes, whether a fish in a stream or a crocus in a garden or a rock on a mountain. The mother finds a way of retrieving. And finally you get down to the end of the story, at which point the little bunny just throws up his little fuzzy arms and says, Shucks! I might as well stay where I am and be your little, bleh, your little bunny. Right! You got it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now how does calling that to mind help when your hope has died. It helps to know His love never ceases despite what we deserve. And we have a sinking feeling, every one of us, of what we deserve. Now you can bury that, you can suppress that, you can try and excuse that. You can try and put it on somebody else. It won't go away. What are you going to do with it? It's the steadfast love of the Lord that we lean into, this amazing love that never says enough. It never says, "I'm done." It never cuts us off, which then enables us to say, "Well, you know what, maybe I can get up today." Maybe tomorrow won't be a disaster. And by the way, even if it is, which it might still be, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Still. Still. So when your hope has died, call God back to mind. Call His mercies to mind as well. Verses 22 and through 23 now. The steadfast love of the Lord is the second point. Never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is another word rich in its connotations. Um, Compassion and kindness. These mercies poured out to the helpless and the suffering. Whose is it again though? No man. No woman. No mortal human being but the Lord. The Lord's Mercies. You know, fundamental reality, point of reality. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God. You need to begin there. It's it's kind of a a reality shaper. In the beginning, God. Or or as God got in Job's face, metaphorically speaking. You can go with me to Job 38. Uh, if you're trying to find that, it, it's right. Job's right before the book of Psalms. Job 38, starting in verse two. So after all, so much drama has played out here in Job and his friends, and this dialogue going back and forth. And Job's beginning to kind of, kind of express himself in some ways he shouldn't. And the Lord answers and says this: Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you. And you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And kind of get this, you know, finger in the chest kind of thing. It's a big finger, by the way. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely, Job, you know. And Job's like, eh. you know, after, a f- after this goes on for like two chapters. Um, my, my point in bringing that up is, Whose mercies are this? Is it the mercies of the never-ending God? You see, He never ends. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. He has no end. Therefore, His mercies have no end. They are inexhaustible. If you want to go down into the mine shaft, you will not find a bottom. If you want to explore the heavens, you will not find a ceiling. These are mercies, these are compassions, these are kindnesses that have no end because He has no end. And they are, another way of putting this, and the writer does, they are ever new, meaning that every day, if we would have eyes to see, there is new evidence of His mercy, new evidence of His provision, new evidence of His kindness and compassion. It's like wave upon wave of, of testimony of God's mercy to us. Or as he says here, as the sun, the, the, each morning, as the sun is rising after that dark night, that sun is rising and shedding its sweet light on those evidences, on those testimonies of his mercy every day, all around us, all the time. And the author is saying, call this to mind, when your hope is died. The never-ending mercies of the Lord. I've got to mention Thomas Chisholm here born in a log cabin in Kentucky in 1866, uh, educated in a very small school, actually became the teacher of that school when he was 16, later became a newspaper man, later became a Methodist minister. That wrecked his health. I don't know the backstory there, but anyway. He, he took, ended up taking his family to New Jersey where he became an insurance salesman. That's where he spent the rest of his life. Wrote a lot of poetry, around 1,200 poems or so. Born 1866, dies in a nursing home, 1960. You're like, why is he bringing this guy up? Who's Thomas Chisholm? Who cares? Such a boring ordinary... You know what you just sang his words? Great is thy faithfulness. It's the beauty of an ordinary life. Live before the faithfulness of God. Great is Thy faithfulness. O oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever wilt be. It doesn't have to be a spectacular anything. It could be the ordinary, like you and me, of His faithfulness. New every morning. New every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now how does calling this to mind, how does calling to mind the mercies of God help us when our hope has died? Because His his mercies, these mercies never end even when it feels like they have. And there are times it does feel that way, doesn't it? like they've been exhausted like he's run a kindness deficit and our account is in the red no more for you his mercy's never in because he, they're inexhaustible now that's not to say i mean he is the perfect physician he is the perfect counselor he is the perfect parent which means he knows just what we need when we need it and how we need it, which you know, of course, where I'm going with this, don't you? It means those mercies may not come how and when we want them, but they will come and perfectly so. We need to bring that to mind when our hope has died. The steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases and His mercies that never come. To an end. Lastly, his provision. Verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Now, what's going on here? What is this portion? It's, it's, a, it's speaking of an allotment, something that's given. It's speaking of an inheritance, likely an allusion back to the div- dividing up of the promised land after the conquest under Joshua's leadership. All the tribes got theirs except one—the priests in the tribe of Levi—and those allotments, and that inheritance, and that portion, and that's an image that's called back to again and again, especially in the Psalms, and we see it here in in Lamentations as well. Now, what's interesting is what is the what's the portion—a land, beachfront, a nice view on a mountainside? God is the portion. God is the portion. Or to put it another way, the Lord provides Himself. That's what he's saying here. The Lord has provided Himself. Now how does this play out? How does this work? Okay, think about the function of the portion, the, the, the allotment, the inheritance. It's what you and your family would look to, right? It's what you would be counting on, right? It's what you would be hoping in, Right? And what he's saying here is, in the midst of, by the way, the context again, smoke, rubble, ashes, death, decay, everywhere you look, crying, mourning, weeping, the exile, the conquest. In that, con- in that, in that context, The author of Lamentations is saying, the Lord is my portion. The Lord has given Himself. In contrast to all these other things that I thought were my portion, all these other things that I thought I needed to be leaning into and relying upon, it's God. Now that it's all stripped away, I can see it. It's the Lord. All these other rivals for my hope are dead. In dust, in tatters, in gravel, they're nothing. But I have the Lord. Again, verse twenty-four: "The Lord is my portion," says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. How does this help? And how does calling this to mind when your hope has died? Calling this to mind that He is your portion. Well, imagine a room. You're standing in a room, and there's shouts all around you. And these these cries, these people, these voices are trying to get your attention, each one vying for your hope, each one vying for your trust, each one vying saying, count on me, trust in me, look to me. And one voice is money, and another is sex, and another is power, and another is control, and another is approval, and another is comfort. And the author is saying, no! The Lord is your portion. The Lord has provided Himself. He has given Himself. And we know on this side of the cross, what? How does He really... Ultimately, how has He done that? Through Christ. Through Christ. Who's really what the Lamentations is pointing towards. The One who's really the One who sang the Lament of the Laments who went through the exile of the exiles for us and is weeping for us and laid himself out for us. Imagine if you can, let's go back to verses 1 through 3 and imagine these words in the lips of Jesus as he's put himself where we deserve to be. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. God has provided himself through Christ. My friends, when your hope is dead, we have some things to call to mind. His provision of himself. Now, why is all this important? Let me take you back to the beginning. Why is it so important to think through this thing of hope and where it is? Last week we talked about this weird little thing I talked about, unintended consequences. I don't know if any of you remember anything about that. I hope you do. Unintended consequences. I want to spend just a second talking about now cause and effect. Remember Mousetrap, the game, right? Mousetrap. Roll the dice and move your mice, right? And, and, and so the object was, or still is, you know, after like I know, 1960 or something like that. The game's been around that long. Um, uh, you know, you, you want to move that little, that little green or red or blue or yellow mouse, you know, along through the maze and, and get your pieces and get them right where they need. And you're, you're watching and you're working the crank and the gear and the lever. And I wrote this down. I, I've got to cheat. And the boot and the bucket and the what? The marble and the chute and the pole and the tub and the seesaw and the cage. (laughs) And you get the mouse, right? It's grand and glorious. It's, it's, It's all connected, right? It's all cause and effect. One thing leading to another, right? Where am I going with this? Hope. What does this have to do with hope? It has to do with hope because of cause and effect, that beautiful triad, faith, hope, Love, and the way they're connected. This is why hope and getting our hope right is so vitally important. You see, because they work like this, faith forms hope. Hope enables love. Faith is the grounds for hope. Hope impels, compels love. Or I can put it this way, faith is the... um, The the root of hope. Love is the fruit of hope. With hope, you have calm in the storm. You have patience in affliction. You have steadiness in the midst of, of panic. You've got generosity in the midst of scarcity. You've got purity in the midst of temptation. What does that have to do with any of this? Lamentations. What does it have to do with his? cry his lament because the author of the lament is saying my hope has died so you see with the vital place of hope in the life of the Christian when your hope has died what do you need to do you need to go back and recover to recover your hope you need to go back and let your faith be strengthened and call some things to mind God's love God's mercies God's provision. You see how this is all connected? We have to be reminded of those things. Call those things to mind. But then that begs yet another question, doesn't it? How can I be strengthened in my faith that my hope might be rekindled again? You know, the answer is not, it's right in front of you. Some of you have it in your lap. Go back, go back to that which you've strayed from His Word. Go back. Go back. Not just in getting your Sunday morning fix. Go back through the week. Go back one by one, personally, on your own. Go back together, collectively. Go back. Let Him speak to you. This is where we learn again and again and again and have our, our faith renewed, our hope rekindled and our love set aflame. Let's pray. Lord, we have to have hope. You've made us as creatures that can't function without it, but at the same time we know that our hope can go astray and be mislaid and go so wrong when it's not in you. We pray that you would help us to go beneath, to faith, to that which we need to call to mind, to be reminded of. Your ways with us, the ways you revealed yourself, especially, oh God, through Jesus. So that when we are shaken and when we've drifted to other things, we, like the author of this lament, could cry and say truly from our hearts, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the name of our hope we pray. Amen.